0: Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a conversation with Simon Thompson. And this is a special one for me as we were both Australian Olympic teammates back in 2004 for the Athens Olympics. And we just had an incredible experience back then in 2004. And it was great to reminisce a little bit with that with him. And neither of us got the results that we'd hoped for at that Games. But both of us left with lifelong friendships that... uh, And that is experiences that we're able to sort of share together now. What I love about this interview is discussing how he was able to take the knowledge and skills from high performance sport into the business world and how quickly he was able to get to the position of global director of marketing and racing at Track Bicycles. And so quickly, in fact, that I was negotiating my final bike sponsorship with track with him uh, in 2014 10 years after the games but it's a great interview please enjoy it and please share it um, if you want to subscribe i'd love that if you want to give me any reviews or feedback i'd really love that just reach out to me on any of the social networks i'll get back to you as uh, as quickly as i can um, but anyway enjoy this one and until next time thanks for listening All right. Today's show, I chat with a man who never stops reinventing himself. He's living proof of a high-performance life, both in sport and in business. He spent 10 years as a professional triathlete. He represented Australia at the 2004 Athens Olympics, where he was 10th, and continued to represent Australia at multiple world championships and the Commonwealth Games. He retired from sport on his own terms to pursue his passion for business, and Ended up working for Track Bicycles for eight years and worked all his way up to uh, Global Director of Sports Marketing and Racing, if I've got that right. And he left track to head up the incredible cycling gaming platform at Zwift and the Asia Pacific region where he took the role as the Director of Growth and Marketing. Just recently, he was headhunted by the Collective Wellness Group, the leader in health and fitness franchising, including Anytime Fitness, Orange Theory Fitness and Extend Bar to become their Chief Operating Officer a man who has truly inspired me in his ability to transition and keep living a high-performance life. Welcome to Be With Champions, Mr. Simon Thompson. How are you, mate?
1: Wow, Benno, that's uh, <laughs> quite the introduction.
0: Thank you very much, mate. <laughs> mate w- I've got a. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all true, mate. So it's actually... I, I don't want to miss anything in an introduction either, you know. It's like I, I, I truly am a, a huge fan of what you've been able to do because... I know you and I have spoken a lot since my retirement and, and I know a lot of people transitioning, whether from sport or, or, you know, often the military type people that are transitioning back into civilian roles, struggle with transition. And, and you've been a great role model on how to, to keep pursuing, you know, and, and keep living a life of purpose. And I think, you know, when I retired, there was a real emptiness and, and, and I've always sort of looked at the ability that you did to sort of, I don't know, just keep pushing and living that high-performance life. So, yes, yes, it's a powerful introduction, but it's all just the (laughs) truth. You can only go downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, mate. Yeah, but it's really good to chat to you. So, those that don't know, uh, Simon and I were both on the Olympic team together back in 2004. And, um, you know, we were mates before that, but I think... I really think that that time in 04 and that whole Olympic experience, you know, really bonded us. And, and as, you know, I think we're going to be mates for life because of it. It was a an yeah, incredible I was, time. Uh, so. I was very
1: grateful to have you on the team with me, mate. I think, um, you and me kind of shared that, um, the same attitude with the, you know, we both had our eyes wide open and just were so grateful yeah. for the opportunity. And we were just in wonder and awe the whole, the whole time for the whole experience. So it wasn't just at the games itself, but just the, um, just the the process that we we got to go on, and uh, yeah, I was I was I was very grateful to have yeah. you um, on the team for that for that. Uh, yeah, it
0: really was a fantastic time, and it's like you said. I think a lot of people get lo- lost in the having to win a gold medal, and I think we had the attitude, hey, we've made the Olympic Games, let's enjoy every little bit about it from yeah. the opening ceremony and um, you know going to the athlete village and everything about it. it was just it was truly wonderful.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree couldn't agree more. And yeah, I mean, we we spent a bit of quite a bit of time together in training camps leading up. And um, yeah, you know, it's a it, it it was funny how everyone was kind of had their own program. Everyone was very specific about what they were doing. But we we spent a lot of time at buffet breakfast lunches and dinners, just hanging out. Um, you know, in, in between as well. And so um, you're yeah, having someone that was just you know just thrilled to be on that journey um, and 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 had that same sort of attitude that I did. It was it was it was brilliant.
0: You you crashed right? You crashed a couple of times, I think.
1: Didn't yeah, you? I crashed twice. Yeah, yeah. I was, behind, <laughs> I was I was behind you the second time, so you you might have seen the first one, but <laughs> you probably missed the second one where you I did, did it. All
0: right, you did all right to crash twice and still come tenth.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I'm so grateful that you know the the bike could have been you know it could have tacoed the front wheel or you know anything. The bike was okay and body was okay, so um, you know the as with any triathlon, the aim is to get from the start to the finish no matter what. So um I was able to do that. Um
0: so but was yeah. it your fault? Were these crashes your fault? What happened?
1: Yeah, they were my fault. Yeah. Um <laughs> essentially it was it was um it was a it was a, it was a um an equipment failure. Um um, yeah, and which is which is which is my fault. It's um, yeah, it was it was a bad tire selection. At the end of the day, it was mm-hmm. um the wrong t- tire choice, and they were they were too new. Essentially, they hadn't been worn in properly. Mm-hmm. And you you remember those roads that they had in Athens? That you know they were mm-hmm. just dry, very marble, slippery like. And um, yeah, on that first descent, the very first corner, when I came down coming down the hill there, and um, I was. Was was attacking with Olivia Marceau and and Bevan Doherty, and we were just going for it. We were just like three three strong riders. Like we're not going to hang around. And um, mm. and yeah, for, as soon as I touched the brakes, I was slipping. And as soon as I, I sort of leaned into the corner, the bike just went straight out from underneath me. So um, yeah, managed to do the same thing again on the on the second corner after I chased back up again, um, oh, yeah. and then. Um, yeah, the way it worked out, that I ended up chasing back into that second group, and then on the next lap around is when that group went away. Um, so um, that group of six, I think it was. Yeah. So our yeah. our group went from the second group on the road to the third group on the road, and um, then they just the, the motivation just went out of the out of the group, you know, as as it as it used to do in draft racing, draft legal races, yeah. um, and we just. Lost time from from then on, so that's
0: a anyway. real shame because yeah. yeah Bevan Doherty, for those that don 't know, you know he ended up getting silver right before, but right behind a uh, Hamish Carter who got the gold medal, and you know Olivia Marseille was known as the strongest bike rider, probably in the sport, so like you said it's, it's a shame I mean we often look back at these big races and go, What if or what if, what if? but yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like we said at the start of the show we the experience we had from the games, I think. You know, I got a fourth place, you got a tenth. Yep. But I think we both look back and go, it was just a great life experience, the whole thing. And I don't know. I think a medal would have been fantastic, but I don't know that it would have changed our perception of what those Olympics were all about anyway, you know. No,
1: I, I agree. And and looking I think you and I actually had the exact same run split as well. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just grateful that, you know, the body was fine and I actually was able to, you know, push myself, you know, right to the very end. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I, and I agree, like, um, life would have probably taken a very different trajectory if, if, if a medal was involved. And so I don't, I don't regret, you know, the, the way that my life's, um, panned out one single bit. So, um, yeah, i you know, it, it, it is what it is. That's sport, right? You know, it's sports. Absolutely. It's harsh. Yeah.
0: So where are you now? Where am I speaking to? you?
1: Oh, I'm um in the lovely Noosa in southeast Queensland, so um in Australia, yeah,
0: yeah. in Australia, other yeah. side of the world, buddy. Because I'm sitting here in Florida in a in an old office.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was teasing you before. I've already been up for a run, running a swim in the ocean, and a coffee with some friends. So um oh, mate. yeah, it's not a bad way to start the day and um, finish off the week. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, for people that don't know, Noosa, Australia, is basically. God's gift. It's an incredible place, and and uh, before we started the show, Tomo said, "Oh yeah, I'll be on. I'll be on the call in a sec. I just got back from a run and a swim and a coffee down at Hastings Street at Noosa Main Beach, and and all I can think of is, oh man, completely jealous <laughs> and envious of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. to one of the best places in the world. So, okay, I want to start the show by basically just winding the clock back a little bit, and and. I want to ask you: When did you first sort of start finding your passion for endurance sports?
1: Oh, um, yeah, I, I think very early on, I was—I had a, uh, a, a bit of a—I noticed I had a bit of a talent for like cross-country running from primary school days, and um, and so yeah, I mean, I loved all sports and I played team sports all through um, through school and high school. But um, I was I was eight when I first saw a triathlon on television. Um, Used to love the water. Um, Didn't do any like squad swimming or anything like that, but would just love being in the water. Used to ride my bike to school and would race my friends to to and from school and, um, and yeah, did did cross country. And so I was just like, oh, that looks amazing. Um, but you know, back in, back in those days, there was no kids' triathlons. And, um, I remember the first time I had a chance to do a race, I was 13. So, um, and even then I was the youngest, um, youngest kid in the, in, in, in the race. And so, um, yeah, I just something about triathlon was just had a had a massive appeal to me from very early on, and um, it wasn't a mainstream sport by any means in the in the '90s and early '90s back then. So um, I was I did it all through high school, was just as a, um, a thing outside of school, and um, yeah, just just loved it, and um, yeah, it was just it was just one of the many sports that I love to play. So, um,
0: was yeah, a, was there, when, when did you sort of first recognize, hey, I. I've got a bit of talent at this. I I I've got a few strengths in this, and maybe you know this is my sport. Was there a moment you were kind of like, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty capable. Uh-
1: you're funnily enough that it didn't come till later so I, I did go to national schools championships and so I remember racing a lot of the guys that we competed against um, you know as as professionals back at you know in, in um, at national schools champs in 94 and 95 um, but I think I think I finished like 10th and fifth or sixth or something like that so I was certainly had was under no illusions that I was ever had any um, ability to, to, to be a professional athlete at all um, and I and I finished school and and didn't do triathlon for two years. So went overseas, um, you know, drank and smoked and just was just an 18, 19-year-old kid you know, living the dream as you, as you did. And, um, and yeah, I just I got out of shape and, and hated the feeling. And um, I remember just getting back into shape again when I came back. Um, was just running track with some mates and we just it was just fun. We'd play touch footy for an hour and then run track sessions. And I just got in shape doing that two or three times a week. And, um, and, I th- and I thought oh, I should do a triathlon again. I used to be good at that stuff, so signed up for a triathlon and um, was somehow fit enough that uh, by that stage I'd given up drinking and smoking. Like could, that, that was that was part of the transition. <laughs> I haven't smoked <laughs> since well, then. At but... the top
0: of the show, I said you're good at transitioning, and he's yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh... <laughs> I always, always say you've got to experience something to really understand it. So, um, you know, it's good yeah. to have seen the other side um, and to really know that <laughs> what, I, what I prefer. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so I did a triathlon and, and um, I ended up coming. It was like a local um, race in Canberra and, and I finished second, I think, on the day. And that's um, when I f- first was introduced to, to Ben Gathercole, um, who ended up, being my my one coach that I had for my whole career, so um, joined his um, his Trident Triathlon squad in Canberra, and um, and then you know from that point onwards it was like. Now I'm doing a sport that I've got some talent in and it's like a team sport, like I really enjoy. We train together, we travel together. You get all of that social and community interaction, which I really loved. And um, I was able to do something which I had a bit of a talent for. So it wasn't until that stage, which was I was probably 19 turning 20 at that at that point. So that was when I first got, oh, I've actually got a bit of a talent for this. And before I knew it, Ben had already entered me into a, um, into a professional on race against you and guys like... Um, Brad Bevan and Miles Stewart and Greg Welch and all. And I was like, man, these are all my heroes. I was just like a, you know, a deer in headlights at that at that race. But um, but yeah, that was, um, that was really the start of it.
0: So that was that a moment? I mean, were you kind of tinkering with it, or was that the moment you said, right, I'm I'm all in. I'm going to go all in on this. I'm pulling the trigger, and this is my you know i'm going to commit to give it everything i had or was there another sort of time in your life yeah life? it
2: was
1: it was a bit of a more of a process than that it was um yeah i you, you obviously remember the the formula 1 series and uh, the st george series stuff you know i i watched that stuff um you know just lapped it up as a, as a teenager uh, on television and um, for me that was what I wanted to do as I got back into the sport I was like that's what I want to be a part of it was live on television it was dynamic you know it was um, you know it was invite only so it was it was just that was that was my motivation you know the Olympics was sort of on the cards at that point but um, but I wasn't even thinking about that it was, and um, and so it wasn't long after that that I was sort of trying to qualify for it and you um, ended up getting into the the series um in the year 99 2000 in that summer um and did 3 of the 5 races and and off the ba- off the back of that um uh, Paul Amy offered uh offered for me to join him and his team in in, in France um in the in the, F- the French Grand Prix and that was where it was like, well, you know, they're going to fly me over, they'll put me up. Um, so, you know, to me, to, to me, that was where I went full time. I, I wasn't professional at that point, but that was when I was like, you know, I'm going to put uni on hold. I'm going to give this thing a go. Um, you know, that attitude of never wanting to say what if. You know, don't have any regrets. Mm. Um, and um, you know, at, you know, at that point, you know, it, it always sort of had a, an academic sort of focus and you know my parents had sacrificed to put me through good schooling and get me to university and so I I didn't make that decision lightly I knew putting it on hold I felt like you know I was going to be letting them down and so that was when I sort of I made sure that I gave it my absolute best I didn't know where it was going to go but I just I wanted to make sure that I gave it everything I could and so um that was where I really started committing I'm going to I'm going to go all in I don't know how long this will last for but um but let's just give it everything, and then I, and then I can, no matter what happens, I can go. Well, I tried that, and you know, I gave it my best. So, ten years later, I was, you know, I'd had just had a whole career doing it.
0: Well, it's funny. There's one thing I've noticed on this show, talking to so many people like yourself. That's nearly everybody starts with the yeah. I was getting a few pat's on the back, and I was getting a little bit of success, and and then and then there's this kind of this time where it's like yeah, I'm going to step away from work, or I'm going to step away from university, or. You know, let let me just give this a bit more of a good squeeze and see if I really can make something of it. And and I think that's what, I think that's a big difference maker between between people that are, stay at good and those that become great. I think there's this real like, you know what, I'm going to start living this with absolute intent, and I'm going to give it what it's deserved. And and you touched on, we had the Formula One series just to explain to the listeners in Australia in the in the 90s, mid 90s to late 90s, there was a um, a series of racing in australia which was called the grand prix or the formula one series that changed names a few times but it was all live television it was all 20 minute type racing maybe you'd do three races back to back with 10 minutes rest in between and and it was uh it was fast furious cutthroat um these days there's a series called the super league which one of the guys that was in that series chris mccormack who i also interview on this show he started a, a new series called the super league which is a global version of what we did in the 90s in australia and and just such a tremendous platform for so many young Australians to to exactly. really go out and have professional careers. It was really yeah, incredible. And and like you I, said, yeah,
1: yeah and, and that's the way I describe it too. Because of the short format, it would it would reduce it would it would reduce. Um, Make the gaps between the the very top athletes and the um, the younger athletes much smaller over a two hour Olympic distance race that gap widens quite substantially, but it allows young athletes to come in and and be really competitive with the top guys and there's just so much um, so much development that comes with that and so that's why I think it was such a good platform for so long because it did it did sort of become a breeding ground for Australia um, for trans triathlon for sure.
0: I know I've said I've said to on this show that. Any young aspiring sort of triathlete right now needs to be reaching out to, you know, Chris McCormack in this Super League series. If they really want to take the next step and see what they can do, there's nothing better than doing that series. Like you said, it builds your confidence because all of a sudden, okay, you get being beaten by one minute rather than 10 minutes. You know, yeah, exactly. and, and, yeah. and you get to race them 10 minutes later and do it again. And maybe you're 45 seconds behind that time, or you're 30 seconds, or you're running shoulder to shoulder with them even for a little bit. Yep. So you're getting the chance to race the very, very best every time. And uh, there's nothing better than that. You've got to surround yourself with the best, you know, to be able to become one of the best. So I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I've just got myself goosebumps again, thinking back to those early days. That's, uh, yeah. That awesome. yeah.
0: Yeah. And so then you went on to, not long after then, you really, I remember you storming onto the scene, um, you know, really about a year before the 2004 Olympic Games. I, kn- I i knew you were around, but there was a real definite, you know, there's Simon Thompson to, wow, there's Simon Thompson. Like, uh, you know, especially the Olympic trials that Australia had um, leading up to the Games where you were just complete domination in, in both Olympic trials races. Um what had changed, do you think, between sort of that 2000 and, and 2004 period?
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the overnight success. I remember that. Though, I <laughs> yes. Yeah, it only yeah. took me 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, so I think like so, uh, you yeah, know, I was probably, um, you know, 15 years doing triathlon by that point. But, yeah, as you said, kind of like where the hell did you come from? Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it was it was literally four years. So, you know, it was 99-2000 when I first started racing that in that series. And um, had spent uh, 2000, 2001, 2002 um, racing in, in Europe. Um, and, you know, there was just so much learning. And, and you know, and that, and that, and that were the hard days. Like that was literally, um, you know, I didn't have sponsorship. Um, I wasn't getting paid. You know, I relied on prize money. And, you know, we were racing, you know, multiple times on a weekend just so you could, you could eat the next week. And so, um, you know, that was where, where I really learned to, to race under all conditions, under, you know, all circumstances because you had to like, and so there was no, there was no such thing as the perfect um, preparation, the perfect, you know, lead up, you know, the ta- the perfect taper, you know, you just, you had to perform no matter what. And so I, you know, that was, that was in, integral to my development as an athlete and um, yeah. And there's, and you know, it's, it's just a building process. And I was fortunate around that, you um, you know that time to sort of be surrounded by some some pretty amazing people and um and it was it was really watching the the 2000 Olympics in in Sydney that I got that that desire to want to compete at the Olympics that was where it was first planted for me um and um and so when it got to 2002 uh yeah 2003 was like it was pretty clear if you wanted to go to the Olympics, you had to be in the in the shadow squad, and to get into the shadow squad, you had to get a certain amount of points on the on the sort of on the ITU circuit. So I had to make the decision to not go to France and and just do the the Grand Prix and the and the European races. I actually to chase World Cups, and so um, so that was that was a big decision because I didn't have the money to do it. I had to you know ended up ended up getting a you know, like a five grand sponsorship that would paid paid for my flights, and I, was, I literally had a. Uh, a schedule, whereas if I didn't get the points in the first couple of races and, 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 and enough prize money to sort of fund the back half of that season, I was coming home again. So I was I was, was going to be done. So, um, so, yeah, I'd sort of had this plan. There was probably six, six or seven World Cups with some other continental level races in there as well. Um, and, yeah, it was fortunate to get enough results that it sort of funded the back end, which um, in the end got me enough points to be in the Shadow Squad. Um, and, um, in that, in that period, um, Brad Calafelt and I ended up going and we didn't really have place to go, but we ended up deciding to go with Greg Johns, uh, Andrew Johns, sorry, in, um, in Switzerland. And, um, and yeah, we just, we just landed on our, on our feet with the, just the most amazing setup that he had there. And it was just a perfect Training platform, for, and we just got so much good work in that um, it just really accelerated me, and um, and and it made the squad. I didn't make the World Championships team that year, so I think you and um, that was the year that Robo won over in New Zealand, and um right. we, and that first trial I think was maybe a week later or two weeks later, um and I probably had the the um, the benefit of not having focused on that World Championships like everyone else had, and then we went to Coffs Harbour, and um yeah it was it was funny I. I I'd just come off a bit of a break and, and in my mind I was focused on the second race in in Perth um, and maybe I was fresh enough that I sort of just came out. And I, and I did have one of those days, you know, you just have one of those races where you just – where it all just seems to come together and it was a course and a style of race that really suited my style at the time. And, um, and yeah, had the – you know, was able to clip the ticket to the Olympics with the automatic selection on that on that result. Um, and, yeah, as um yeah, we ended up. You know that just released the pressure, took the pressure out because you know I'm on the team and then it was able to then back it up with the second race in perth um where you where you ended up qualifying,
0: and you won that race too by the way, which you he, he you didn't mention but <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh look what I think was extraordinary about that kind of that oh two o three period is y- your back was really up against the wall, it was really, and this is when I feel like you're most alive, it's like uh. Yeah. I feel like there's been some races in my career where it hasn't been a choice whether I win or or, or have some form of success, whatever it is. It's I kind of have to. And I almost feel like that's when you are most alive. And it's not that the failure, you're going to die. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not that dramatic, but it's definitely as an athlete, I think they're the times that you really mature as a person yeah. and as an athlete. And I, I'm sure when you look back and go, yeah, during that time when I was... Really, just struggling to even you know find a bed or get some food or whatever. Yeah, and here yeah. am I having to travel around the world and collect points, which really doesn't put food in my mouth either. Either, no, and, no. Yep. and it, it's like because I often hear now a lot of the young guys, I think that you know that are young athletes and in, in the sport of triathlon, they they tend to say, "Oh, you know, back in the day, you guys had so much money," and and I don't think the story is told enough about. Hang on, we all had periods in our career where. There was a very limited sponsorship. There was very limited money, but we had to go and earn points to try and get onto shadow yep. teams, to try and get a chance even to qualify for the Olympics. And uh, that, that's what makes your story so great is that you overcame all of those things and, and here you were first – australian on the on the team and and it should be known that australia at that time was still ranked i think number one or two country in the world yeah. which means we we had a lot of depth and we had a lot of great athletes and so for you to win coffs harbour the way you did you had to beat the current world champion who at the time was peter robinson yeah. you had to beat uh, i think of myself i was world number ranked world number one both yeah. in two and in O three. three yeah. um you had to beat people like courtney atkinson who'd uh Won the Australian Grand Prix over and over again, and had won several World Cups by that stage. Yeah. Um, So there there was, and I've only mentioned a couple of guys. There was was plenty of others
1: as well. Yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, and if you
0: think about who I just mentioned, well, they've got every title that the world had to offer. Yeah. And you've you've gone out, and you didn't just win that race; you annihilated the field. It it, it was a demolition. demolition that's the word i'm looking for and and then once again in perth uh, was the second trial six weeks later and um as you mentioned that was the one that i sort of just scraped through by you know i I really just scraped through on that one But i remember you running by me sort of early in that run i'm like man that guy's a magnificent runner and he's incredibly fit right now and uh, you know it wasn't one of those like oh i'll try and hang with this guy it was kind of like okay see you later and uh (laughs) And uh, you know, and I think that was one of the, you know, we we talked at the top of the show about the Olympics that you did do and and just the kind of form that you were in there in that oh three, oh four period and and the work that you'd done with Ben was was really quite remarkable in in that kind of span of taking you from watching the Olympics in two thousand going, Hey, that's not a bad idea, I wouldn't mind being an Olympian, to being truly one of probably, you know, the favorites going into the uh Oh four games um, I mean if you 're on the australian team you 're going to be one of the favorites yeah. that 's how it was yeah. In, yeah. in those days and uh yeah, I just love it I, it's incredible and and uh you know ben gathel is is one of the truly great coaches and really great people of the yeah. world i've had a lot to do with him in my time as well and uh, I think having somebody that i think I was talking to Simon Whitfield in one of the podcasts and uh he talked about it as there's trainers and there's coaches. And and I think what he was trying to say, if I might not quote him exactly right, but you can have coaches that are somewhat mentors and they're going to be there for you and check in on you even now, 15 years after the fact, they're still kind of checking in to see how you're doing. And they're great people. And and Ben Gathicole is one of those people. And and I think that's what truly makes a great coach as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Ben's still one of my best friends. We, you know, we speak every week together. So, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, a collaborative relationship that was, it was not, it was certainly not a trainer, that's for sure. He was, um, it was a a partnership and, yeah, I think that was, it was a little bit different at the time and I know that a lot of the Australian coaches were sort of looking to that model and and sort of, but it's something which probably can't be forced. It's something, it's, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. relationships like that don't just come along every, you know, all the time. So. yeah, no, I was, I was very fortunate. And, and just going back to like I think it's a really good point you make around um, I guess the, the struggle um, and because in that period I remember um, racing in, in Luxembourg um, one Sunday and we had just raced uh, over on the Atlantic Coast on, this is with the French team. we just raced the night before. We had a team relay um, where we had to race together. as like in a, in a team time trial, swim, ride, run. We started at 9 p.m. at night and um, and we finished at 10 o'clock at night and then we drove all night long from, you know, we basically packed the car after the race. We've just done a sprint triathlon, you know, nearly an hour's long. And we stopped the driver. The man team manager couldn't drive anymore, so he stopped at like a Motel 6 for about four hours at 2 in the morning. And we got back, piled back in the bus and kept driving. We arrived at Luxembourg at, at midday and the race started at 1 p.m. And it was an Olympic distance. And, um, and I, for all intents and purposes, there's no way that I should have been, you know, in, in good form for that day because I'd just done a race late at night, been cramped up in a calf all night long, not, not much sleep. But it was like, it's a race, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's everyone's equal on the start line. And um, I ended up just getting narrowly beaten by Simon Lessing. Um, i would broken away from him on the bike. it was just the, you know it was a hilly as hell bike ride on, on in luxembourg and the um, and the next day having having breakfast the the, um, um, the performance coach for great britain was there and they had a bunch of their athletes there as, as well as simon lessing and and he was saying to me like i just don't know how i can recreate what you Aussies have got like you guys are hungry like you guys are you know you're you're, you're busting your ass you know every weekend um whereas I've got these young guys that are now on stipend because we've got we've got we've got money. Um and they take the foot off the gas and they sort of they, they think they've made it and they don't push anymore. And so there's all these really talented guys that kind of peek out because they don't have that ability to push themselves and and I get asked this sort of question by parents of of younger kids these days in different sports. It's like, oh, little Johnny is so talented. If only you would, you know, you would try a little harder or work a little harder, you know, what can I do to, to motivate him? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't really get that question because it's like it's not your job to do that. If, if Johnny doesn't want to do it, if he's not driven by circumstance or something internally to want to commit to it, and you, you sort of spoke about that, you know, the, the, like Simon and all these guys, have, there's a point where it's like, I'm going to give this absolutely everything I've got. Um, that doesn't come externally. You can't tell someone to do that. Um, and I think that that is that that drive has got to become internally. And I, I don't know how you create that. I think you can sort of guide someone, and and that's where the I think the the connection with the, with the good coach comes in because you you need someone to keep them on track once they sort of have that goal and that motivation you want to keep them in that space but um but i don't think you can you can force someone to do that
2: no like what you've heard so far then make sure you never miss a podcast by clicking the subscribe button now this show is only made possible by you the listener and if you'd like to support greg please visit the be with champions Patreon page your support very much appreciated now back to the show
0: I love what you just said. That was, I mean, a fascinating story too. I, I've got a couple of similar ones as well. And, you know, that that kind of, I guess we would call it a mongrel type attitude where yeah. it's uh, I, you're chomping at the bit and you just, you love what you're doing, that it's, you, there's no fear of a, a result. Sometimes the pressure's even off when you do something drastic like that, that you just, yeah. like, just go race and have fun. And yeah. the way I like to describe it is almost, I like to break it down into three things. I kind of feel like, the individual has to have passion for what they're doing. So identify something that you're passionate about, and and if you're a young kid doing sport, are you passionate about it? Do you watch videos about it? Can you not wait to watch the U.S. Open tennis? Can you, you know, is it like I need to watch every interview? I'm I'm just so into it that I need to be a part of it. Then passion's only one part of it though, and I think this is where people get stuck. They go, well, I'm passionate about it, so I should be able to make it happen. And I was like, well, well, no, that's not quite. We the, we we then need to identify. Do you have strengths that Will allow you to pursue your passion and yeah. identifying your strengths. You know we're all very good at identifying our weaknesses. You know that's that's easy and and we'll have other people who tell us our weaknesses all the time. we, yeah. we all love to do that. Yeah, um, but identifying <laughs> you know identifying your strengths and 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 one thing I enjoy doing with my wife Laura is we often just sit down maybe every six months and we actually just tell each other what we think our strengths <laughs> that's are. That's awesome. And, and it's, it's even though we've been married for and been together 20 years, it's, it's kind of, there's something to hear it from somebody else, you know, and it's, uh, I encourage anybody to do it, whether it be family or, or somebody at work that's close to you. And you sit down and go, look, I really think your strengths are this, this, and this. And it's amazing how empowering that is, you know, to have somebody identify what they think your strengths are. And then what I say is, let's al- align those strengths with your passions, you know, so, I'm a big believer you can't put in what God left out when it comes to endurance sport. If you don't have a reasonable VO2 max and, yeah. <laughs> and thing, then then I'm sorry, you're just using your parents' credit card to go on a, a world-long tour around the world, you know, jumping into races, and, and you're probably not going to make it. Uh, not probably, you're not going to make it because you, your strengths have to align with your passion. And then the final part of that equation I like to say is you've got to take 100% responsibility for your life. Mm. And, and in doing that, you... You're building your right team around you, like you did with Ben, you know, and and your partners and your family. Like, they're, you know, I, I kind of look at it as, as your relationships and your team as yeah. both family and experts, and they all want the best for you. Um, yeah. And then once you do that, and then you take care of your sleep and nutrition and general health and your training and all your mental strategies, then you can possibly be in the mix of the world's best. You know, it's like, yeah. and then there's a the luck and, you, an and opportunity. Then you got, kind of got to
1: let it go and not be so Exactly. It.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. So you've put it all in line and now you just got to hope for the best.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get out of your own way then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So, okay, so you, when did you retire from racing then? And, and why, why did you retire? Because I... I I've never really I think you know I've spoken a little bit about this but I'm I'm still kind of curious because I you know I, I'll let you explain because I'm always Yeah,
1: okay, it's a good good question. I think it, it kind of still fits with what you've just talked about there as well around um you know the stuff that you're doing with Laura. I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. I think in uh, in life and and business we tend to be focused on weaknesses too much and um I know that um you know like Brett Sutton for example is a coach that would would do the opposite. He'd be like, focus on your strengths and just exploit it. That's your weapon. You know, like you know, that's what you need to focus on. And I think people often are too busy focused on the gaps. And I, while well, I think it's important to sort of you know reduce those weaknesses. Um, you know, I think th- those strengths are really important. But anyway. Um, I was really fortunate towards the sort of twilight of of, of what was the, towards the end of my career. I started working with a life coach, and um, and she was just an amazing person. She was just extremely intuitive, and she was just um, the right person at the right time. And 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 this. Is a, You know she was introduced to me by Ben Gathercole as well so Ben just had no ego our whole our whole career he was always looking for new and different people that could come in and help you know um he was never the one sort of person that sort of felt like he needed to be the the central figurehead the whole time and so um but I, I was going through a rough patch um around 2008 and um and just really frustrated, I, you know, I was, I was like, maybe I'm going to throw it in. I could be done. And I, and another mate of mine, he, he, he was in my head. He, it he, said to me once, if if you're if you're if you're finished doing something before you've achieved something major, then you're just quitting. You're not retiring. And um, and I still sort of felt like I had unfinished business at that at that time. And so she'd said to me, Did, "Do you know exactly what you want to do before you will be able to, you know, walk away without any regrets?" And I, and I was just like shit you know what i I don't so she's like why don't you just pretend that you're 17 and someone's just told you you're going to have a professional triathlon career um what do you want to do before you before you finish and i was like that's a good idea so i went down and wrote this whole list um all the things that i'd love to accomplish if i got given the chance to be a professional triathlete and finished that list looked at it and i was like Damn, I've I've done eighty five ninety percent of this list already. That's awesome, you know. And the things that were missing were an Olympic gold medal or win the Hawaiian Ironman in Kona. You know, things that you know a very small part of the population get to do. Um, and so, um, but then I think over the next three months, I probably got that list to like. 97% finished it was just those probably those two main goals and maybe an individual world championship medal gold medal was the one that was the three things that were missing um, and i sort of honestly could, could look at that and go if i never did that i'd probably be, be okay like i you know I'll, i won't i won't be um, crawling in my grave if i don't accomplish those things so Um, I remember thinking, does that mean I need to retire now? And I thought, no, no, I actually – I'm still enjoying the process. Like I still really love it. Um, And I was like, good, okay, just put that in the back pocket and sort of keep going about your your business. And so I did. And it was through that period that actually I was getting into coaching and I started taking on um, uh, clients both for life coaching and for triathlon coaching as well. Um, And while on paper I was still – Doing the same amount of training, getting you know the the, the training diary wasn't changing at all. Um, you know, I was still competing. The I guess the the commitment would probably just dropped a couple of the percentage points. Um, mm-hmm. And going into long course racing at that time, you know you know if you're out by one or two percent, that turns into five or ten minutes um, over a four hour period. So um, those those races that I could have won were maybe second or third places. The races that I should have been in the prize money. I was just out of the prize money. And so even though I was putting in all the work, um, the results just were way less satisfying. And it was around that time that I just thought, you know, I've done what I what I want to do. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying seeing success of my clients and, and seeing them um, mm-hmm. succeed. And, and I've realized sort of through that period that what I'm really passionate about is seeing people and businesses reach their full potential. Like that really gets me excited. And so... Um, you know you know you know what the sports like it's 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 all in you know everything you do reflects on your performance and so um, when I felt like I was no longer giving myself a hundred percent commitment to it I was ready to go you know what it's time to to, to step away and 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 I was um, you know comfortable doing that knowing that there was nothing left on the table that I would be um, wanting to go back to and and you know I, I've never done a triathlon since um, mm-hmm. you know I just left that chapter behind because i was never ever going to go go as fast or um you know do as well as i'd done before and so i was quite happy to to step away from that so um so yeah i was you know and that and that's when i went all in on the coaching at that point that was that was what i was going to do so um,
0: it was really uh, incredibly mature of you because i think you see a lot of athletes get stuck and 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 i've got a few funny stories that you you mentioned like you know there was olympic gold and kona ironman world champs and and I remember um, I've I've got two guys in mind that I've had these conversations with, and, and one of them was Peter Robinson, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah, who was the Australian who had won three world titles and been silver at two other world championships. So that's five world championship medals. Yeah, plus he went to the two thousand and two thousand and four Olympic Games. He was on, he was our teammate in two thousand and four. Yeah, an incredibly successful athlete. And I remember warming up with him before the two thousand and four Olympic Games, and we're both running along and um i think we were in france somewhere it was maybe a week or two before the games and i think at the time i just won the world series for the second time in 03 and and it started to have a fair bit of success my my end and he'd had his success and yeah and all he all he kept saying was yeah and i was looking at his career going wow wouldn't it be amazing to have one of those world titles (laughs) And he was looking at mine going Oh, if I only had that consistency! Because to win a World Series was all about consistency yeah. over time, was winning races and consistency. And so we were both just laughing that, gosh, we're never satisfied. It yeah. doesn't, it yeah. doesn't. And then the other guy is a guy by the name of Javier Gomez, a Spanish athlete who now has, Everything. I don't know, is it n- nine <laughs> World Championships <at, laughs> and Olympic silver medalist and uh, and probably won more races total than i think any other triathlete in history um he just races all the time from you know from short course all the way to long course and, and Rima, anyway i know i remember training with him in uh noosa where you are and He was exactly the same. He was like, (laughs) yeah, I haven't really done anything. I'll never forget it. The way he was sort of talking, yeah, I haven't really achieved what I wanted to achieve. And, you know, that might have been not having the Olympic gold, you know, and uh, he gets beaten by uh, Alistair Brownlee and then before 2016 he breaks his arm and and can't race the, the Rio Olympics. But there's not many triathletes in the world that if you said to them, hey, 17-year-old you, would you take Javier Gomez's resume? <laughs> would you take it or not? Yeah. I think you'd find 99.9% of people would say that is the most awesome resume in the world. But, so it goes back to what you're saying is you're never going to finish with everything that you ever could have imagined. There's always going to be a little bit of oh. That would have been nice, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's just being okay with it, right? It's just being yeah, you know, what,
0: exactly. What are,
1: you, what are the what are the things you're willing to accept? And if not, like if 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 they weren't, I probably would have gone. All right, that's what I need to do. Like and give it everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was sort of okay with what was still left on the table.
0: And it's like you said, one of the things that Laura and I always talked about is if we want to be professional athletes, we have to do everything in our power with the most intent we can. And yeah. if that means being in bed by eight, you know, I, I used to love in Boulder, they'd said, never call the Venets after eight. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> don't. I want to be known as the people that are taking it. We we are going to take it more seriously and we're going to do everything in our power. If it means a massage every afternoon, we're going to do it. If we're going to do everything we yeah. can. And, and that was a part of the reason, a bit like you said, towards the end there, I was like 43, 44. And I just started getting to the point of going, I actually don't even want to hop on a massage table anymore. You know, I don't want to do the little things. I still enjoyed the hard training, a bit like you, I think. I enjoyed the hard training and I enjoyed the hard racing, but because I'd stopped being prepared to do the little things, um, I just got fatigued and I was like, you know what? And now I'm getting fifth at races that I should have been, at least on the podium, if not winning. And it's like, okay, this is, that's enough. That's enough. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you don't, because you don't want to taint you know the, the the whole experience with you know with with sort of fizzling out and and i think that's where you know i'm i'm passionate about this this transition as well that uh athletes of all sports make and just having the having the skills to be able to move from one thing to the next because yeah you, you've seen it as much as i have where athletes they stay Longer than they should, um, because they don't necessarily have a clear pathway forward, um, and in the end, all it does is just give them a whole lot of sort of less than ideal experiences that you know that maybe taint the whole um, the whole thing. And so, um, uh,
0: well put. It's well yeah. put. It's exactly right. And we've we've seen a lot of athletes. You know, we, we've seen friends that have you know become depressed, and and some taking it even yeah. further with suicide. And and there is that kind of people get trapped as that's who they are and that's all they're going to be is that athlete or that person and you know a part of what really wanted me to have you you know apart from you being a good mate what I really wanted you on this show for was this conversation about transitioning and finding purpose beyond just labeling yourself an athlete you know you're so much more than that and you have so much more to give and and I guess that's leading into where I want to go right now is that transition. What was it like for you? And, and did it take time to find that purpose or were you, you know, did you have a good team around you? How did that work out for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was so, so lucky, Ben. I, 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 my, my whole career, I've, um, I've been extremely fortunate, um, you know, right from the very beginning, you know, for the, the, the opportunities I had in the triathlon career, and then the opportunities that have come post that as well. So, um, you know I, I don't know whether he, whether I can sort of say this is a formula that I could you know give to other people to replicate I've just um, I, I, I have had some amazing opportunities that have been presented to me and um, I don't know whether it was you know how to, how to, how to necessarily replicate that that um, but but I think all I can say is that I um, I didn't sit still and wait for those opportunities to come to me I was always moving in a direction which I felt was the right way to go Um, and so you know that that first move away from triathlon into into coaching was a big step and it was a big commitment because it's like I'm back to back to the start again where I'm going to be trying to build myself up I've gotten Know very little experience here, but I'm going to try and make a business out of out of coaching, and um and I was back to those days of you know I've got five grand and I'm going to try and get points and qualify for for this and that you know it's I've okay. got to get clients and I've got to um you know be be successful enough to be able to put food on the table and and try and build this thing. So I was um I I've, I've found myself in that in that space quite a bit, and that's where I tend to thrive. I found so um you know I think where i where i get stale is when it becomes to that point where it's like it sort of gets be a little bit autopilot um and that's where i get a little bit anxious i think so um so yeah i i was i was in that process with the with the triathlon um with the with the coaching um but i came to a point where i was like i realized what i wanted to do with it and that was for me i really love the synergies between sport and business and um i wanted to become an executive coach i thought you know there's um you know, there's a a lot of high performance things, a lot of synergies here, which I could um, really find some benefit and and enjoyment in. But at the same time, I had no experience in the corporate world, none. And, you know, um, I was like... I, I never, I never felt like a coach needs to have been there, done that necessarily to um, to be able to coach someone. But I think you kind of need to understand the customer, right? You've got to understand. Well, their, speak their... the
0: language too, right? I mean, there's yeah. a language that you need to know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> language, and you just got to understand their world, right? And yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, it was very different from what. I had. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to get a job. I'm just going to get a regular job. Um, it'll just, you know, pay the bills for a little while. But of consistent money that's going to take the pressure off, and I'll just. You know, I'll, um, um, I'll I'll learn in that, and so I thought, what's the what's the most corporate thing I can think of? I found a a job being advertised at, at the National Australia Bank in HR, and I was like, that's got to be a corporate <laughs> a corporate situation. <laughs> so I just I literally applied online for this um, for this job, which it kind of it sort of I guess for HR. I sort of thought coaching. I've maybe got some things that might be that might fit there, and so. Um, Yeah, so anyway, I ended up having three interviews for this job because I didn't fit their mould whatsoever. But they kind of – they saw something there and in the end I failed it. a test an Excel spreadsheet test. I had no idea how to navigate around Excel <laughs> at that point, and uh, I got I got shown up. But I was also working with Triathlon Australia on a on a project, um, and Jason Pye was working for the Sports Commission at that time, and so um, I, I, he must have known that I was you know had my eyes open to um, to get a get a job, and so he got headhunted at that that point to um, to bring Trek bicycles um, direct to, to market in Australia, and um, and he literally was. In the US, um, hadn't even started yet, and they handed him a phone and gave me a call to say, "Hey, I'm I'm building a team. You know, we're we're going to have a business, and you know, are you interested?" And so um, it kind of went from there. At first, I turned him down. The job he described wasn't quite didn't quite seem like a good fit. But um, but you know, eight years later, I was I was still with. With with Trek and I um, had a, an amazing. Um, I had a, probably five different roles with the company and and so much opportunity within that within that business. But um, but yeah, so I just sort of put it down to the fact that I was kind of heading in a direction, and you put yourself out there, and, and then opportunities will just you know hopefully present themselves. And as I said, I and then and then it's up to you what you do with it, right? So you know, um, I I didn't finish um, university, so I didn't have a degree. I was fortunate that trek was the kind of company which hired people first um you know they've got this very american saying it's um you know great awesome great great how is it right people right seats on the awesome bus um mm-hmm. so they hire people first figure out what their skill set is and, and how they can improve that and then get them in the right spot and so um you know once you're sort of in a role it's up to you what you do with it and so um then i was presented with some more opportunities within the company as well um That sort of went went from there, and so, um, and then after that, yeah, I think you know it's it's, I'm you know trying, it's I've I've never actually applied for a job, you know I've gone and, and sort of gone other except for that bank the job the bank. Bank one, but, um, you know. I've never sort of, I've always had opportunities sort of come my way, and I, th- I don't know. I think I sort of always think it's 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 not who it's not who you know, it's who knows you, um, mm-hmm. and you're always interviewing. I, I think you know the kind of person you are, the way you interact with people. Um, people mm-hmm. notice, and so um, yeah, things will hopefully come your way.
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, I think you told me once, you know, uh, with this role that you had with with track when you you were in australia and you know suddenly they needed you know i don't know was it straight when you came back over to the us was it straight to the global director sports marketing and racing or was it uh, Yeah.
1: The, the role itself what it started out of wasn't wasn't that position it was a sports marketing manager role um but uh, i guess it the way that it shaped itself from there, it grew it grew substantially, and so ended up becoming a, a separate department within the company to manage um, sports marketing and racing. So um, yeah, that's sort of the direct the director role sort of evolved from that. It was it was a new position; no one had done it before, and pretty much all of those six jobs that I had at Trek it was only one that would, someone had had previously. All of them were new roles, and so. Yeah, so that's why I I always sort of think, you know, um, even with big companies, it can be quite dynamic. You know, whether it's a startup or um, or big companies, you've got the, you know, as I said, I like being in situations where it's new and you're building something, I was kind of in that situation quite a lot um, in, in Trek where it was just sort of new business, new things, figure it out, go all in to try and, to try and build it. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what happened. But, yeah, the role, the role kind of evolved and, and it was mostly around um, deciding to, um, to own the, the World Tour Cycling team as opposed to being a sponsor. So we had mm-hmm. to create a subsidiary to, um, to own and manage that, that, um, that team. Which was um, uh, was out of out of Belgium, but um, but yeah, we had to build a whole entity around around that, and that was where the Trek Factory Racing brand was really established. And then we then applied that across the other the other programs, and so in the end, we of the of the seven sports that were that we were racing in, we ended up owning five of those seven programs. So um, so it was a really different model. None of the other manufacturers were really doing that, Um, but for us at the time, it, it it it, it was gave us a better return on our objectives which were around product development and marketing um and having the athletes and the staff as um as employees as opposed to just um someone you sponsored just mm. it meant a whole different level of engagement um and buy into um to the overall company objectives and so you just it just had a much better result
0: you seem like someone who really embraces the fairly big change and opportunities within that change like i obviously as a, an australian boy moving to waterloo wisconsin is is quite a change in itself yeah. um and then during that time you know you got married and started a new family um you know which is also tough and i think your role had a lot of travel between yeah. europe and the us i think and uh and then like you said all the roles within that i mean i think you you sound like somebody that's the, that's fairly flexible and willing to give things a try and um i think that's why i think it's that flexibility that might be why you're so good at transitioning from one role to another i think you know keeping yourself open to these opportunities that you know not not standing still and going yeah i'll give this a go this is different new and and not just being in the status quo i i think that's fantastic
1: yeah well you, you described it before around that feeling of when you're really alive you know when your back's against mm-hmm. the wall and um you know, that's when you felt the most alive and you've got the most out of yourself and, and it's no different. All of those, all of the times, you know, and I'm, I'm in that phase right now. I've just started a new job less than three months ago and um, and it's really stepping into something which is unknown um, and, you know, um, and, and new, but, you know, it's it's when you sort of, Take that big bite out of something, and you've got to chew like crazy. That's where you really see what you're made of, and yeah, you do. You feel you feel alive, and you're, you're pushing yourself. It's a times where I probably uh, haven't felt like I've had to extend myself, where I've sort of really sort of started to flatten out and and uh, and not feeling like I've been growing and developing. So
0: yeah, there's this yeah. new role as a uh, chief operating officer for the Collective Wellness Group in Australia, um, and like I mentioned in the introduction, you know that's a a group that basically is the franchise runs all the franchises, right? For Anytime Fitness, Orange Theory Fitness and Extend Bar in Australia. Uh, yes. Yeah, in Australia. So that's I mean, how many how many franchises are we talking about? And what and what are you exactly doing with all of that?
1: Yeah. So we're we're now up to five hundred and fifty units across the three brands here in Australia. So wow. um Essentially, one in fifty Australians are a member of one of our um, one of our clubs or studios. So, um, so yeah, quite a quite a substantial penetration here in Australia. So, um, yeah, and for me, you know, coming, i you know, it's, you know my, my corporate career is relatively immature. I've only been really working for for ten years, and so, um, so yeah, this this position is definitely um, a stretch for me, and it's moving from the bike and um, sport industry because Zwift was very much still um, working along sort of really in the top end sort of, of, of sport as well um into sort of a a wider fitness space um but also moving into franchising which is a an entire industry on its own and um so very much on a very steep learning curve um (laughs) and um and and i and i really enjoy that like it's for me that's um as i said that i actually feel alive and i um you know it's, it's easy for me to put in the hours and put in the work because um you know to me it's that that's what's engaging you know um you know it's 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 going all in to that point where you really um, the same way with triathlon you sort of you, you search for that feeling of flow and that feeling of um, you know losing yourself in what you're doing um, to me that's how I find it
0: yeah I, I I'm wondering I kind of want to just touch on one thing here um, we talked about Ben Gathicole in your you know professional career and one of the things I'm a big advocate for is is team and and building the right relationships around you whether that be family or experts in their arena yeah is that something that you feel like you've been able to do well throughout well your numerous careers that you've had is that been a a focus for you
1: yeah it absolutely is because yeah Yeah. um my my, my favorite quote is um something along the lines of there's only so much you can yeah, there's, there's there's no limit to what you can achieve if you don't care who gets the credit um, and um, you know that was that was a learning curve for me in, in my in my um, in my I guess my business career um, because as a triathlete it's sort of up to you and you know you, you just you just train harder or more or better and um, you know is just sort of getting into business. there's there's only so much you can accomplish in in the hours of a day by yourself and you need to be able to mobilize and motivate and inspire people around you to sort of achieve the things that you want to achieve. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so having relationships is key to that, you know, like if you don't, if you don't have um, rapport with not only the people that you're directly responsible for, but people that are outside of your control that have an influence on your on your um, success, um, you know, essentially it means you've, you've got to have the no dickhead rule, right? You've, you've got to be someone which is liked and respected to try and um, <laughs> for, influence For Americans, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> the no dickhead rule, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I play that everywhere, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, Laura and I often talk about it as um, you know. Obviously, family and relationships is one kind of a team that you need to have behind you, and yeah. uh, but the other is you know the experts that you work with. And and when you look at the whether you're in business or in sport, for us, it's not just the experts who we work with. It's those experts need to want the best for you and the business that you're doing, and. And I see you as a great leader in the sense that you know how to empower people, like you said, removing the ego that anybody can sort of receive the rewards. And in sport for us, it was we, you know, massage therapists from bike mechanics and anybody else, it's one thing if they're good at their job, but I need them to want the very, very best for me as an athlete and my performance. And that's what I always felt empowered me almost more than any other athlete in the world. I built the best team around me and I felt like they always had my back. And, and that's something that I think you've been able to transition from sport to into business. Um, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, because as athletes it is a fairly selfish type of role and, and it is all about us and, and quite often, you know, we get the success and the glory. And mm. um, in business it really does need to be shared and, um, and to empower all your employees and people that are working for you. Everybody needs to feel like they're on the bus and, you know, enjoying the journey together.
1: Yeah, no, 100% I think um you know this I've been asked this question before, you know, you're you're a competitive person and I and absolutely I am because um you know I, you know put me in any sort of competition type thing and I like putting myself in those things I'll definitely push myself but it's not it's not because I want to crush the person around me. I don't need to step on anyone to get where I am but just the the Competition as a as a vehicle gets the most out of myself, and so mm-hmm. that's where I find in business like it's it is competitive, and so you need you need to be able to get the most out of yourself. But it's it's the most out of everyone around you um, in order to achieve to be able mm-hmm. to, to to move forward. And so, um, you know, I, I'm I'm passionate about about that about getting people to do whatever it takes to get the most out of themselves because ultimately I think that's where satisfaction is. You know, that's what drives most people's um, being better than you were the day before, um, mm. you know, in, in, in all sorts of different areas, you know, whether that is family, friends, um, business, you know, finance, whatever it is, you know, and so being able to help people on that journey for the collective good is to me is, is um, what it's all about.
0: Yeah. I, I want to move a little bit sideways. Yeah. Um, And I want to kind of talk about how you've been able to kind of, as athletes, you know, sleep and recovery and nutrition and body work, general health, our physical training obviously was important and then mental strategies. All of those kind of fundamentals as an athlete, have you found that you've needed to, in order to perform your best in the business world, are, are just as critical things like sleep and recovery, nutrition, that kind of thing? Do you focus on those now like you did as an athlete?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think I'm probably more aware of that now than I was as an athlete um, mm. and it's probably only since being in this new role and there's just some projects that I'm working on around, um, you know, trying to, I guess, democratise some of those um, those services and, and techniques that are previously only been reserved for professional athletes um, and elite, elite athletes and so trying to sort of bring those things to a, a wider market and so I've sort of just been... Exploring with a few things and technologies, obviously, improve dramatically. There's so many more tools and things available. Um, but yeah, even even just to you know taking HRV measurements every morning and just seeing the impact that um, mm. you know a five-hour sleep has compared to an eight-hour sleep, or mm. um, you know the difference of you know. and I'm a bit time crunched, I'll jump on Zwift and do an hour at 8.30 at night, um, you know, but then I don't get to sleep until 11 um, Mm. and, you know, I have to get up early in the morning. Seeing the difference that makes or a couple of glasses of wine and, um, you know, just – how all these things fit together. I mean, if I knew what I knew um, back then as an athlete, I think God,
0: I would have yeah, been so, much, so much better. <laughs> I'd, I'd be still racing. <laughs> oh, I
1: know. Oh, yeah, you, you would be too. Um, but no, yeah, just yeah, yeah, nutrition and all of these different factors. I mean, there's so many different things that. Um,
0: and how are you measuring that? What kind of wearables are you using for your sleep?
1: Yeah, so you- I, um, I, I I just wear um, a Garmin watch which 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 measures my sleep, um, mm-hmm. and then I take HRV. Just I just use a um, just a heart rate strap, um, mm-hmm. a, a ticker, um, Wahoo ticker, and use Elite HRV. And um, yeah, I find that really uh, fascinating how accurate that is, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing it regularly. Um, and the other thing, which which is emerging, which is um, you, we get you'll start to hear a lot of, is around testosterone um, mm-hmm. and cortisol. And um, sp- I met with a guy recently, Dr. C- uh, Professor Chris McClellan, who's real expert in hormones and testosterone. Mm-hmm. He's developed a um, an at home test and an app that'll allow you to um, basically take a swab of your saliva and within twelve minutes through the app get a result. Mm-hmm back that you would normally have to go see a doctor they'd send away and a week later you'd get the get the result which would tell you what your testosterone was a week before which is completely wow. different
0: yeah exactly you. it's it's a time stamp exactly yeah.
1: and but, but now to sort of know whether your your body is under the stress of overload from training or whether you're under the stress of lifestyle like such as not enough sleep or finance or relationship or business or whatever these other things lifestyle factors and been able to then prescribe what your sort of um stimulus needs to be whether it's more training less training meditation sleep um all of these different things is just it, it's super powerful um because so,
0: so what's what's that what's, what can you just repeat what he's what the name of the business and the company is that he's got Yeah, so his,
1: his, his app hasn't been released yet so i can't tell you what that is but it's essentially um it's it's taking a saliva test to measure four markers um it's your testosterone your cortisol i think it's amylase and one other um mm-hmm. and essentially okay, so- what that, yeah, that can also do is it, it. can tell you within forty-eight to seventy-two hours of getting sick too. So any wow. sort of cold and flu type thing. So, um, so he's worked. You'll have, with, to, you'll have
0: to let me know about that. We'll have to have. A, I will. Yeah, yeah. Me I mean, he's been working
1: with professional teams, because he keeps um, teams that are paying hundreds of millions of dollars in, in wages to athletes. He keeps them on the pitch. Effect. 100
0: percent. Yeah, and, and I think you, most of our listeners here. I think we're looking at about seventy percent of the listeners are are men. Who are all just uh, when you mention the word testosterone, you can. Yep. Fig- I mean, that's probably the number one hormone they're all going to think about. As and uh, and longevity is, is really the two big things. And yep. you know, for myself recently, I've been doing a lot of self experimentation on this kind of thing as well. And and I think you're allowed to do it more now that you're not professional athletes. Yeah. It's almost like you know, I've been doing a lot of ice bathing and and, yeah. and bringing my body temperature down and just. And really taking note, it's really just a self-experimentation of my mood and uh, yeah. and not just my mood, the hours right after an ice bath where you, you're very stimulated and the dopamine is really yeah. kicking in, but yeah. more so my mood over weeks and months and my sex drive and everything about me has been changing since I've been doing a lot of the ice bathing. And wow. yeah. um, that's been one of the most Im- – like we did ice bathing for sport, which was more on the recovery and getting rid of inflammation. Yeah. Um, but doing it for health and doing 15 minutes sort of at that sort of 10 to 12 degrees or 50 degrees Fahrenheit and really just bringing down that core cool body temperature, I've just found that incredible. So I'd love to sort of get this app and um, – well, no, that's like, hundred yeah.
1: percent because exactly the other the other thing is the correlation to things like heart disease and um and mental health. Mm. Um, there's massive implications now, which and that's why I'm saying you will start to hear a lot more of about it about it shortly mm. because um that. What you described, all of those things, um, are what massively influence mental health, and so mm-hmm. for um, for men, uh, especially, but it's also women too. Testosterone is treated differently in, in women; they don't get the immediate response that that, that men get, but they still have testosterone um and it's it, it is as we get older we don't produce it as easily and and naturally it can, the levels can drop and so you're, you're at risk of these of these other um hugely important things and so um yeah so being able to um be more aware of it and be able to do these different practices which will um influence it in the right way it's, it's going to be game changing
0: yeah it's huge so what kind of training and you know body work are you getting these days are you doing much
1: just move as much as I can. Just <laughs> you know? move. Yeah, just I try to do something every day, but it's yeah. um, it, it's probably nothing. Not, I need to set myself another goal. I'll probably try and do another Spartan race or two next year. I, I did one this year. I ran a marathon this year, which was which was good oh, too. Wow. I won't do that. I won't do that again. But um, but yeah, oh, I, I, I will do I that No, I think
0: have <laughs> Never I've gonna do that again. again.
1: <laughs> i thought that one to rest. So um, no, but I like the Spartan races. I, I can almost be competitive at the at the lead end still as well with those. So um, I'll try and do a few more next year. Once I, once I set myself a goal, I tend to set myself a program to, for it as well. So I'm, I'm so the I same just, as
0: you. I, I, I tra- training there, for health yeah. is actually training for health is almost harder than training for a professional. I think athlete. so I, too. Yeah. If I don't have a goal, it's like I've just decided I might enter a ten k in mid January. Yep. Well, yep. you know, well in a few months' time, and. I haven't run for nine months and boy, <laughs> I've got like, I've wow. got a few weeks to get ready for it. And I'm like, ah. um, but I need that kind of little bit of a scare, right? It's kind of like, okay, now, now I need to, you know, put aside half an hour, an hour in the morning to go, to go run. You need that stimulus. And, yeah, you know, I people love talking, oh, you need a goal. Well, you kind of do. It makes, it. you need a goal just because it makes it easier to do the work. That's all the goal is. It's kind of like, if you make it, a goal. It just makes it easier to get out of bed or go do the work that needs to be done. If otherwise, training's too hard. Yeah,
1: it's the same in in life and business. Everything. I just find it really difficult to give yourself the um, the right process to get. Um, Get where you want to go with without without the the end in mind. So um, yeah, I yeah. agree. Just training for life is is difficult. Sometimes okay. it, is good, it is good for you just to sort of take you know take the pressure off every now and then. But I, yeah, I, I find it's just good. you got to. It's gotta like you said, you just got to keep,
0: keep 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 yeah. moving, keep moving. So, so yep. what does uh, twenty twenty have in store for you then? You you know apart from maybe a Spartan race or two? Is it, you know just getting more comfortable within your position?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's. it's um, it's mostly work-focused for sure for me. So um, there's a lot of great things that are going on in the business and there's a huge opportunity. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into that in 2020. And, um, yeah, personally, I'll, um, you know, try and ensure that I'm evolving in in the right way and applying all of these new technologies and new new, um, different practices that are out there. And uh, if they can help me to get through a Spartan race or two, maybe the Cool and a Gold again later in the year, then um, I'll be happy
0: yeah well mate i really appreciate you spending some time with me to chat you know you've been a good mate for well over 15 years and uh i'd love to have you back on the show just because it forces you to chat with me for an hour (laughs) it's hard it's hard to make time for for each other these days because i know you're really busy so i really appreciate this time and um you know, thanks for coming on, mate, buddy.
1: No, Pretty no, I, pr- I appreciate. It. I I I'll just tell one story too that I think is just says a lot about you as as a person. One of the very first sort of, uh, it's probably the second professional race that I did. It was in Mulwala, and you lapped me. Um, you know, it was it was a hard race. Uh, you won it. You lapped me, and um, you were the only one of the guys that came up to me after the race and said how'd you go? How was it? Like you were just really interested. You knew that, you know, I was stepping into the professional arena and you just went out of your way to have a chat to me. And, and there I went and I just, that made a big impression on me um, right from the early days. And so uh, I'm, oh, I'm glad that I can call you one of my mates now. No,
0: mate. <laughs> well, you're welcome. It's right back at you, buddy. So, all right. I'll, um, I'll keep you on the line, but I'm going to stop recording now. So thanks everybody for listening. And uh, that was uh, Mr. Simon Thompson, incredible, Guy that's been able to transition the sports uh, into business uh, like none other. Thanks for joining me, mate. Bye. Thanks, Ben.
2: Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions patron page, or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. The show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.